Hi, and welcome to the February 24th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida, and my desire is to help you grow in your understanding and enjoyment of God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, once again, we just have two chapters in the Old Testament, um, and uh, so it's easy reading, at least as far as length is concerned today. And it's it, the, the passages actually numbers chapter 7 and 8. And it's going to be a little bit difficult because uh, numbers chapter 7 is redundant and both of the chapters we wonder what's the purpose of this. But just go on and get through those chapters, really thinking about them, and then come back and see what I've got to say about them. Once again, it's numbers chapter 7 and 8. Now, if you've read those chapters, let's get started. Okay, so now we come to Numbers chapter 7. Now, I'm assuming that you have read this, and uh, one of the things that my translation has done, and maybe uh, your translation has done as well, is it kind of blocks off the, uh, the various individuals and what their gifts are, because these are the gifts that people brought to the tabernacle, the people of Israel, actually individuals within the people of Israel. And uh, so if you look at this and look at the sections, the sections are equal in size, equal in numbers of verses. And then if you look even more closely, or as you read it, you would realize that it, it sounds, it's like deja vu. It's like, haven't I read this before? And it just over and over and over, the only real difference is the name of the person that's actually bringing the offering, but all of them bring exactly the same thing. And so it seems redundant. It seems redundant, so we're wondering, what's going on? Once again, I want to encourage you to realize that the Bible is multi-layered. The Bible is multi-layered. You can read the surface and just get the gist of it and feel like, oh, this is boring, you know? Lost people can do that. Lost people can do that. They can just read it as literature and think, well, that's boring. Or you can dig a little bit deeper and uh, learn some trivia, you know, learn some little things that, uh, that you see. You dig deeper and you find little nuggets of gold in there that maybe others wouldn't see if they're just surface reading. But I'm telling you, as Christians, we need to be looking for the answer to the question, why did God put this here? First, why did God put this here for the original audience? And then what's the meaning that I can draw, the general principle that I can draw out of this? And then when we answer what that is, then we can ask and answer the question, how does it apply? So when I read through Numbers chapter 7 and I ask, well, what, what's this about to the original audience? Well, the thing that I come across, the thing that comes across to me is the fact that God is very detailed in his accounting. He knows exactly who brought what. He's very detailed. He's an uh, incredible accountant. He knows who gave what. Um, so when we bring that up to a principle of, okay, what is the overarching principle that would apply to this text, but also is capable of being applied to New Testament saints. What's the principle? Well, I think that's the principle. The Lord pays attention and takes great account in, and, and takes great de- 
is very detailed in his understanding of what people give, what people give. And so applying that, the Lord is watching us to see what we give, not just financially, but give of our time and give of other things, but he certainly keeps a detailed account. Whenever I was reading this and whenever I was drawing out that overarching principle, that's what I see in number seven is the Lord knows who gave what. Whenever I was thinking about that, I thought, oh yeah. And so I, I went over to Luke chapter two. Listen to Luke chapter two, verses one through four. Listen to God in the flesh. Listen to Jesus. Luke two, one through four. He, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. Okay, so he was there in the, probably it was the court of women that was inside the temple proper, but it was not quite to the place where they would offer up the sacrifices. It was called the court of women. I think that's where he was. And uh, so he was there and he was watching the rich, the wealthy, drop their offerings into the temple treasury. Verse 2, he also saw a poor widow. So Jesus, God in the flesh, is watching people give. But he doesn't just watch them give. He knows how much they gave. Listen to verse 2. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. So the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. They're the same. God in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 7, is paying attention to who gave what. As we look at, at Jesus who makes the Father known to us, we also see that he pays attention to who gives how much. And whenever you look at this, you think, oh, she gave two tiny coins. Well, almost certainly you're familiar with this story, but I'm going to read just the next couple of verses anyway. Listen to his assessment. Verse 3, Luke 2, verse 3. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put all that she had to live on. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, knew who, he knew what they gave, how much she gave, and he knew where what she was giving out of that proportionally speaking she gave much more than anyone and so the lord is looking not just at who gives but what they give and proportionally what they give to kingdom purposes but i want you to also know that the god who in number seven is very detailed about who gives what is also concerned with our motives when we give it's not just who's giving and what they're giving and uh, you know whether or not they have the means to give that much. He's also looking at what is their heart attitude when they give. I'm telling you, the Lord is paying attention. Listen to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where we learn that we are even to watch out for our motives when we give. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Listen to this. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Okay, so what he is saying is he's not saying don't do righteous acts publicly. Don't do, you know, your good deeds publicly. He is simply saying it. Don't do it in front of others to be seen by them. When you do good things, don't do it because you want other people's applause. You do it because you want heaven's applause. It can be public, but the more public it is, the more of a temptation it is to do it so that others would applaud your efforts. So that's the danger of doing things publicly. But, but he's not saying don't good, do good deeds publicly. I mean, when we look, is it Acts chapter 4, the very end of Acts chapter 4, where 
um, was it Barnabas that sold some property and he came to the church and he laid the money there at the disciples' feet. It was public, but he didn't do it for the applause of people. He did it because he wanted to serve the Lord and minister, use, let, allow his money to be used for the ministry to those who were poor. Um, but we have to be so careful. So, so listen, as we give, we're to be careful of our motive. Look at verse 2, Matthew 6, 2. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Now, it's doubtful that they actually blew trumpets. I think Jesus is giving a little bit of a laugh line. He's exaggerating for effect. He's saying, you know, those goobers, they blow trumpets to get people's attention before they give their act, before they give that, that uh, small coin to the poor because they want people's applause. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. What is their reward? It's the applause. The brief applause that happens and then it's over with. Verse 3, but when you give to the poor, remember number 7, God knows who gives. He knows how much they give. He knows out of the wealth or lack of wealth that they give. But now in Matthew 6, he's saying, I also know your heart when you give. And so he tells us how to give, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Once again, Jesus is exaggerating for effect. He said, you and I know your heart. You're going to be tempted when you do something publicly. You're going to be tempted to do it for applause. So why not just alleviate that temptation and give to the poor? Give to them in private. Give to them anonymously. Don't have a, a cell phone up to, to you know record your... A good deed, and then post it on social media so that everybody can click like on it and just sing your praises. He said, don't do that. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's a reward both ways. One, when we give for applause, and the, applause, the, the reward is the applause. That's it. There's nothing waiting in heaven because we did it for the applause, so we got the applause. But Jesus said, when you give, I want you to do it for the glory of God. I want you to do it because it's the right thing to do. I want you to do it because you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor so much that you are using your financial means to bless them. Jesus said, when you do that, do it that way, and that's your motive, then you've got a reward waiting in heaven for you that's going to last for eternity. And so number seven, as I look at this, it is telling me and it's telling us that God pays attention to who gives how much they give. From Luke 2, we realize God not only knows who gives what, but also proportionally how much they give. And then we learn from Matthew 6 that God's even looking at our motives. So are we to give? Oh, absolutely. If we have wealth, which means if we have food, clothing, and shelter and something left over, we have wealth. We are to use what God has given us to bless others, but be so careful in how it is that you give and why it is that you give. And if you give for the right reasons, then you've got a reward waiting in heaven because the God who had Moses wrote Numbers, right, Numbers, seven, uh, Numbers chapter 7 is taking records of you and what you gave. Now, 
when we get to the very last uh, part of Numbers chapter 7, I just see a wonderful verse in verse 89. It says, When Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. He spoke to him that way. Who's he? Who's the voice? This is God. This is God. God is speaking to him. God is speaking to Moses from above the mercy seat. God spoke to Moses. And we may be tempted to say, oh, I wish God would speak to me with that clarity. Friend, I'm telling you that if you have a Bible in your hands right now, you have the word of God. And this is not what God said, past tense. This is what God is saying to you right now. And you can go into his very presence through prayer. That's the beauty of prayer and reading the word. Prayer is us speaking with the Father and listening in his presence. But listening technically is ultimately it is reading God's word. And then there's other times when we think we may be hearing from the Lord little hunches or things we think may be him. Well, then we still go back to the word of God to say, is this the sort of thing that God would be telling me? We compare it to what we know God is saying, and that is the Bible. So friend, I just want to encourage you, stay uh, in that relationship with the Lord. Spend time in the Bible. Spend time in prayer. Okay, so let's look at Numbers chapter 8. Now, except for the first four verses in this chapter that simply tell us how it is that the the front two-thirds of the tabernacle and eventually the temple were to be lit with the seven lamps. Um, except for those first four verses, the rest of the chapter is on the consecration of the Levites. And once again, we may read it and think, what is this? You know, what am I to draw out of this? I want you to once again realize that these laws were not giving, given specifically to us. They were given to the Israelites in the Old Testament. And so these laws, many of these laws are at least... In the letter of the law, they are irrelevant to us because they were done away with. Uh, this, we are now under the new covenant. We're now in the New Testament. But having said that, we may be tempted, if we just stop there, we may be tempted to say, okay, then what's the purpose of Numbers chapter 8, uh, verses 5 through 26, where it talks about the consecration of the Levites? If that's irrelevant to me, then why even read it? Because there is no Levite, there are no Levites right now that are set apart for the work of the temple. In fact, the temple has not existed since 70 AD when Titus came in and the Roman army destroyed it. Not one block, one stone was left on another. So how is this relevant? Once again, just like we looked at in the last chapter, we have to look at and, and it's these three things, and you may want to write these down. When we, as New Testament saints, seek to understand God's Word, it's a three-step process. So I, I, if you're able, you can write these down. If not, you can just come back later on today and, and come back to the very beginning of, of Numbers 8 and, you know, two minutes in and look at, uh, l listen to this. Okay, so it's three. It's three a three-step process. One, observation. Two, interpretation. Three, application. Okay? So, observation, 
interpretation, application. Now let me define those three a little bit better. Observation. What does the text say? So in observation, when I'm asking the, the, the text, what does the text say? Well, when I'm looking at Numbers chapter 8 and I'm saying, okay, what it says is how the Levites were to be consecrated for service so that they were set apart for the Lord. Uh, in fact, in verse 14, it says, In this way you were to separate the Levites from the rest of the Israelites, so the Levites will belong to me. And so that's what it says. Observation, we're not looking for application. We're not talking about how do I relate this to me. Observation is simply studying the text and finding out what did the writer say to the original readers and what, what was he saying, what was going on. And so this chapter primarily is about the consecration of the Levites. So that's observation. Second, interpretation. That's where we take from what we have studied in observation and we say, okay, what are the general principles that I can pull out of this? The overarching principles that I can draw out of this. That's interpretation. Interpretation is saying, okay, I have studied. I know what it says. Numbers 8 says that the Levites were to be set apart for the service of the Lord. They were to be a peculiar people, a people set apart for the Lord. So that's observation. What's interpretation? What's the principle, the general principle or principles I can draw out? Well, you may already have an idea of what that general principle is. As I said, they are to be a peculiar people, especially if you grew up with the King James like I did. That's actually a, you know, a verse in the New Testament that we are called to be a special people, a people that are set apart for the Lord. So the, I'm, actually, I'm kind of jumping to application, but what the interpretation would be is, okay, there is a plan. There is a way for those who God calls to himself, service to him, there's a way for them to be set apart. That would be the general principle that God sometimes calls people to uh, to himself to be set apart from, from everybody else. He calls them to himself and there's a certain thing or a process or whatever it is that he does to kind of just solidify that and have them set apart for him. That would be the overarching principle, right? And so then that's the second interpretation. What I would do then is say, okay, let's drop that general principle down into my world. How does that general principle apply to me? So does that make sense so far? Let me go over it one more time. Observation, what does the text say? I'm not looking for application at this point. I'm not looking for general principles. I'm just studying the text to find out what it says. I'm being a detective and finding out what does it say and what did the readers understand as they were reading this. To the best of my ability, I need to dig into this part. So that's the first one, observation. The second is interpretation. What are the general principles? What does it mean? And I draw general overarching principles from that. And then the third step after interpretation is then application where I'm saying, okay, how does it work? How does it apply? And so I take that general principle and what's the general principle in Numbers 8? Well, God sometimes calls people uh, apart for service to him and in calling them apart for service to him, there are things that he does and requirements that he has of them that sets them apart, that makes them different. So then I drop it down into application. How does it look for me? Well, instead of me just kind of 
making something up, let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, as God's word on application. That if we are saved, if we have been called out of, air quotes, Egypt, in order to be his people, then, then 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, chapter 6, verses 14 through 18 applies to us. Listen to this. It says, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. And so there he's even saying, okay, if you're a believer, don't go and get into a relationship, a, a permanent sort of business relationship or a marriage relationship or something like that, something strong and lasting, something that ties you to them. Don't get into a that sort of relationship with an unbeliever, with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Do you hear him as the Apostle Paul is moved by the Holy Spirit saying that believers are to be called out just like the Levites were called out? For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What, agree, uh, what agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And this is the jest of the New Testament. The New Testament says that all of us are born in sin, therefore we must be saved by transferring our trust from ourselves to Jesus, resting in the finished work of, his, of what he did there on the cross and by rising from the dead. And then, as we are saved, we are to produce fruits of repentance. We're to act like saved people. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Therefore, we read the New Testament and we look at the general principles that we draw and apply from the Old Testament so that we can be a people set apart for the Lord. Friend, I'm telling you that there are far too many people that profess to be Christians today, but it's not just these days. It's been in all generations. Far too many people that profess to be Christians that act more like the world, so much more like the world than they do like Jesus. It's not, I'm not saying that they are as sinful as they can be. I'm just saying that people are not able to see that they are a Christian, that they are a follower of the Lord. Would, would you be identified as a Christian if, uh, if people got to spend a little bit of time around you at work or school or wherever it is that you would go? Would they be able to see that that you're a follower of Jesus? Um, would, uh, would I mean, if, if you were in a country, and we've got some countries that are listening, one of which uh, I saw India is on uh, the, the list of people who have listened to this podcast, most certainly people in India and in many other select countries, if you identify with Christ, you could be jailed, you could lose your job, there could even be those in your neighborhood that would seek to kill you, that would seek to kill you. But are they able to see Jesus in you? I mean, some listening to this would pay a much higher cost than others. 
But that's the overarching principle that I see in Numbers chapter 8. There are some that God calls apart to serve him. And in the New Testament, it's, it's not just preachers. It's not just missionaries. It is all believers. We are all called to serve and enjoy the Lord our God. Every one of us got the great commission in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. That's not just to preachers. That's to everybody. And so we're all called to be separated. Friend, I'm telling you that it should be so obvious to others that we are separated to God. In conclusion for this uh, chapter on Numbers 8, I just want to read a verse out of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And I'm going to read this out of the contemporary English version. Listen to what it says about uh, a couple of disciples, a guy named Peter and a guy named John. Listen to what it says. Acts 4.13, the officials were amazed to see how brave Peter and John were, and they knew that these two apostles were ordinary men and not well-educated. Here it is. The officials were certain that these men had been with Jesus. Friends, just as we read Numbers 8, and God set the Levites apart for service to him, there is now not a select group among Christendom that gets called apart to serve the Lord. Every one of us serve him. We're all in different capacities. I happen to be a pastor. I've been called into that. But everybody is called into some form of ministry. It doesn't. It's And don't think ministry is only what happens in the church building. Ministry happens in your home. Ministry happens in the workplace. Ministry can happen at school. Wherever it is that you are able to influence others. That's where ministry happens. And so realize that like the Levites and Numbers 8 were set apart, you have been set apart, friend. So be that person that is, it's obvious to others that you're a follower of Jesus. Follow him, love him, enjoy him, submit to him, obey him, and see how God would bless you with opportunities to glorify him and to bless others as a result. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we thank you that you have considered us faithful by calling us into various acts, aspects of ministry. Some of us have ministry where primarily we are responsible for duties within church life, and but many of us have ministry opportunities where we we our, our, our work is not in the church building. It's in our community. It's in our place of work. It's in our neighborhoods. It's wherever it is that we work, wherever it is that we go to school, that's where you have called us to live a set-apart life. Lord, help us not to be weird. There's, there's enough Christians out there that, that think that to follow you and to be separate for you means to be weird and to dress so differently that it's just, they're just weird. Lord, help us not to be that way. As I think of you, Lord, and I think of the apostles, I think y'all dressed just like everybody else dressed in the, the robes of the day. I think that when you showed up to the sanctuary, you were probably wearing about what you wore throughout the rest of the week. And so I, don't, I think you probably, Jesus, wore your hair generally the same way that other Jewish men would have worn their hair. You weren't weird. Uh, whenever we think about what sets us apart, 
it's it's not so much our dress that what how we dress except that we are to dress modestly um but lord it really has to do with what we think about and what we laugh at and what we say and what we listen to and what we do and what we don't do and what we watch on television and what we listen to and what we don't listen to and what we don't watch. Those are the sort of things that testify to the fact that we have been called apart. Lord, help us to realize that you are worthy of that and we can only truly be considered a follower of you if we're actually following you and doing the things that you would desire for us to do. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength and give us the wisdom to be even more effective in living a life that pursues holiness today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we only looked at two chapters in Numbers today, but, uh, but I intentionally added a few things in here as far as how to understand passages like this and to look for a deep, deeper meaning and how it is that we're to study God's Word. So I hope it's been enjoyable to you. Uh, almost certainly some of you are probably going to have some insights that you can add even more to what has been said. Feel free to add those thoughts. Uh, this is not just my podcast. I created the Facebook page so that the Facebook group page so that uh, this could be a communication. So feel free to jump in, chime in, share your thoughts. I love reading uh, what what y'all write uh, throughout, you know, throughout the day, uh, each day in response to these podcasts. I love y'all and I hope you have a wonderful day, whatever there's left to it. And I'm looking forward to spending tomorrow with you. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.